thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. We are a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, please visit www.vcnola.com. Here is this week's message. This week, I googled the question, what makes someone financially stable? And one of the first articles that popped up, these are my favorite articles, 10 signs that you are financially stable. And I'm like, well, surely there's some wisdom in an article like this. And the, the list proceeded as follows. It says, number one, you're financially stable if you follow a budget. Number two, well, some of you laughed, like... Uh, we're starting off bad, right? If like number one is so, number two, you live below your means. Number three, saving money is a consistent habit. Number four, paying down debt is a priority. Number five, bills get paid on time. Number six, financial goals are clearly defined. Number seven, regular investing is part of your financial routine. Number eight, you have the right insurance. Number nine, FOMO doesn't drive decision-making. And lastly, (laughs) there's no worrying about money. And I read that one and I thought to myself, who doesn't not worry about money, right? So I think a lot of those signs are, I mean, some pretty good advice there. Some, Some wisdom there as we think about money, as we think about financial stability. And as I thought about that list, here's what I thought about. I said, what if we started at the list, right? And we all just had our hands up initially. And I have a feeling that as we go further down the list, what happens is less and less hands are raised, right? And I'm telling you, hopefully, I think that when we'd get to number 10, everybody's hand would be down because all of us at one point or another have worried about money. So these are great things for us to consider, things that we should be thinking about when we think about financial stability. Some of them I think even you're going to find in the Bible, but what I want us to do today is we wrap up flourishing people thinking about financial stability. I want us to look at Genesis 1 and I want us to see what Scripture has to tell us about what it means to be financially stable. We've spent the last six weeks looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and looking at what Genesis 1 and 2 has to tell us and teach us about being someone who is flourishing. Week one, we kind of unpacked just simply what that means. Like, what does it mean to flourish? Why did God create us to flourish? How did he do that? And then, counting today, we've spent the last five weekends unpacking what we think are the five pillars to flourishing. Things like faith formation, loving relationships, meaningful purpose. Last week, we talked about holistic health, and we're going to talk about financial stability today. I encourage you, if you're new or you're looking for resources, the QR code there on the screen, you can scan that. It'll take you directly to the page where you can find all of our resources. If you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at Genesis 1 verses 28 through 30 today, and we're going to see what God has to tell us about financial stability from 
the very beginning of these few verses. So, verses 28 through 30. We've read 28 before, but we're going to read it and then continue. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, so and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So what does Genesis 1, 28 through 30, teach us about financial stability? Three simple commands, I think, for us to take away. The first one is this, trust the Lord. We're called to trust the Lord. I want you to go back and look at verse 29. There's some interesting things in these three verses that are very, you might just read over them, gloss over them, and not think much about them. But in verse 29, there's some things that I want us to consider. It says this, and God said, behold, I, who's I in this passage? God. Behold, I have given you how many plants? Every plant yielding seed that's on the face of what? All the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Just in this one verse, what we see is that creation belongs to the Lord. All of creation, everything in God's creation, as we're reading in Genesis 1, everything up to this point that God has created, it belongs to him because he created it out of nothing. And so all of creation belongs to him. That's why God can give us things. That's why he can look at all of the earth and every plant and every animal and say, it's all mine. Creation belongs to me, and therefore I'm the one who can give it. Now, you have to understand how countercultural this was to the Israelites who were living in the ancient Near East. Remember, Genesis was given to Moses as the people of Israel were coming out of Egypt. And so in the ancient world, the gods were not seen as providing for creation. In fact, it was the opposite way around. It was humanity that was supposed to be providing for the gods. And here we see in the very beginning in Genesis how God flips that to show us the kind of God that he is, to put him in the spotlight compared to all of the other gods of the ancient Near East, say, I'm not like all of these other gods that you've heard about, that you've seen, that you've been told to worship and follow. In fact, I'm the opposite. I'm giving you everything for you, not for me. That's what Genesis 1 verse 29 teaches us. And there's so many other places in scriptures, in the scriptures that affirm this point. Passages like Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Say everything, there is not anything in all of creation that doesn't belong to the Lord. In his commentary on Genesis 1-11, through Kenneth Matthews says this, and I think it's important for us to, to understand as a part of the language 
that verse 29 gets at. He says, the words every and all, they emphasize the availability and generosity of God's provision. They remind us that God owns everything and that he is giving us everything that we need, which is, again, a reminder for us to trust the Lord. Now, with every single thing that I think we're taught in this passage about financial stability, there's also the reality of how sin affects these things. So we're told, because creation belongs to the Lord, that we can trust the Lord, but what tends to happen because of sin is distrust enters in. And what I think scripture teaches us is that distrust can lead to hoarding. I mean, think about in the Old Testament when, when the Israelites are in the wilderness and God says, listen, I'm going to provide everything that you need. Your, your clothes aren't going to wear out. Your sandals aren't going to wear out. Every day there will be manna and there will be quail. And then they're told on the Sabbath to do what? To trust the Lord. To actually not collect, to not work on the Sabbath, that God would double what they needed the days before so that on the Sabbath they would have what they need and they wouldn't have to work. Well, what do the Israelites do? They go out and they start looking for manna and they look for quail. They were hoarding because they were afraid that on the day when they weren't finding food, they wouldn't have food. And so there's this danger that distrust, when we don't trust the Lord, it can lead to like, well, I've got I've to keep all of these things because I don't know if I'm going to have enough or I, I might run out of all of these things. And what you need to be reminded of is God himself has never hoarded. I mean, we see that in Genesis 1, right? When he says, every plant and all of the earth I've given to you. But we see that not only in creation. We see God's generosity in redemption. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you've ever read those two chapters, 8 and 9, it is all about generosity. Paul encouraging the church at Corinth to give back to support those who were in need. And what Paul does is he uses the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to point to the reality that we as Christians have been called to be generous. Look at what he says in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 8. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what? Everybody say it. Rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, is Paul talking about literal wealth? No. He's talking about the grace of God. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about what Jesus has done for us to forgive us of our sin and to restore our relationship with God. But what he's doing in this passage is he talks about money is to say that God is literally generous with everything. Yes, his creation, every tree and all of the earth, but also he's generous with his grace. He is so generous that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. When Paul talks about Jesus being rich, he's referring to Jesus living in heaven, being with God, being in glory. And yet Jesus did not want to hold on to that. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. 
but rather he let go of all of those rights and those privileges and came to earth and became human. And in becoming human, he took on poverty. I mean, yes, Jesus was poor. It talks about how he had no place to lay his head. But at the same time, moving from being just God to putting on flesh is an act of humility and poverty. And Paul tells us in doing that, Jesus became, who was rich, became poor so that we who are poor in sin, separated from God because of the generosity of God, the grace of God, we would become what? Rich. That we would have his grace and we would have it in abundance. See, God himself does not hoard. He doesn't need to hoard because everything is his. And if everything is his, then what that means for us, because he's given us everything, we can trust him. Think about how Jesus described this in Matthew chapter 6. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about worry and anxiety and riches. And look at what he says. You're probably familiar with this passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and there thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, I think part of what Jesus is getting at here is like, yeah, we have needs. Every single one of you has those tangible needs. Things like you've got to have food and you've got to have clean drinking water and you need shelter and you need relationships. You need all of those sorts of things. But God provides those things. I mean, in fact, in just a passage before this verse, you might be familiar where Jesus talks about the birds of the, of, of the air and the flowers in the field. And he's like, listen, they don't worry. They don't work. God provides for them. In the same way, Jesus is telling us, like, we don't need to worry about storing up all of these things, hoarding all of these things for ourselves when God has provided them. He tells us to seek the kingdom, to seek God. Look, part of seeking the kingdom is trusting who? God. To say that whatever God you've, you've provided, whatever you've given me, I can trust you with it. I seek you first. We do that by trusting him, by recognizing that all of creation belongs to him, that he didn't hoard from us, that we don't need to hoard, but rather in all of our needs, financial, physical, you name it, we can trust the Lord. But... I think for some of us, there's a danger here that we can use our trust of the Lord as a crutch. Because the other reality is, yes, we're called to trust the Lord, but number two, we're called to work hard ourselves. Look at verse 28 in, in Genesis chapter 1, just a verse before verse 29. Pastor Weaver preached on this passage a couple weeks ago, and it says, God blessed them, God said to them, be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, what verse 28 tells us is that creation requires stewardship. 
Okay, think about this. Go back to what we just read about in verse 29. God says that all of creation belongs to him, which means creation doesn't belong to us. It belongs to who? God. Stewardship is not about owning something, but rather stewardship is about being entrusted with something. God has entrusted us with his creation, which when you're stewarding something, when you're entrusted with something, it requires work. I know I've shared with you my home ownership woes before, but home ownership has taught me something about stewardship. Because I don't know if you've ever experienced this if you own a home before, but you have, you know, you have those special projects that you want to get to. You're like, I want to be able to do this to my house. I want to change this look or I want to add this to my home. And as you're stewarding your creation, right, you're stewarding the house that God has given you, one of those other special projects pops up. Something that breaks in your house, right? My toilet broke two weeks ago and I've been kind of too lazy to fix it. So it's like, well, we're using the other bathroom for the next couple of weeks until we get to fixing that. So you have all of those projects, not to mention all of the normal maintenance stuff. I'm kind of hoping it's, you know, cold for another month or two so I don't have to mow my lawn, right? I'm I'm wishful thinking, right? So all of these things teach us something just generally about creation, how we are called to steward all of creation. We've been created to work for our financial stability. They are, they're not mutually exclusive to say we're called to trust the Lord and at the same time work hard. We can do both of those. In fact, we're called to do both of those. What Scripture teaches us, in fact, is that laziness, the opposite of working hard, is a sin. You can go to the book of Proverbs and you can find all kinds of examples of how the writer of Proverbs tells us that laziness is not wise. It's not good. And then Paul, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, says some very interesting things about laziness. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 12. So Paul's writing to them, and clearly something's been going on in this church where there are some people in the church who are lazy. It says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not what? Eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. You know anybody like that? The busy body? Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Those are kind of harsh words, right? That Paul is saying. He's like, listen, some of you don't work. In fact, you're lazy. And Paul says, if you're not going to work, you're not going to do what? Eat. So there's this interesting relationship between us where we're called to trust the Lord. We're called to recognize that all of creation belongs to him. And therefore, he has given us that creation and we can trust him in that. But trust in the Lord does not negate proper stewardship of creation. To say, yes, God, you've given me all of these things, but now it requires me to work, to steward, to care for those things. 
But by the way, some of this is just like wise planning, how we spend our money, how we make our money, how we save our money, how we invest our money. That's good stewardship. How we care for our things, that's good stewardship. When you are lazy, you reject God's call to steward creation. And then you hinder your ability to be financially stable. We're called to work hard. But we can't just trust the Lord. We can't work hard, just work hard for ourselves. Lastly, I want you to see this. We're called to share with others. And I think this is so important because chances are, if you were to Google this week on your own how to become financially stable, you're probably not going to find generosity in the top of the list. But I think that scripture sets up for us a unique perspective, a unique way to see our finances. And part of that unique way is sharing and generosity. Creation was given to all of humanity. If you go back and you look at verses 28 through 30, what you find in those first few verses of chapter 1 is that Adam and Eve stand in as the head over all of creation and as representatives of all of creation. Which means whatever was given to Adam and Eve and whatever was commanded of Adam and Eve is given and commanded to who? Us. All of humanity. Because they are the representatives of all of humanity. And so when God tells Adam and Eve that they've been given all of these things, what God is saying in creation and about creation is that all of creation has been given to all of humanity, past, present, and future. Now that has significant implications for us as we think about financial stability and in particular as we think about generosity and sharing with other people. Listen to how Christopher Wright says this in his book on Old Testament ethics. He says this, Since the earth was given to all humankind, its resources were meant to be shared and available to all. Access to and use of the resources of the whole planet constitute the legacy bequeathed to the whole human race, everyone. The creation narratives cannot be used to justify privatized, individually exclusive claims of ownership, since it is to humanity as a whole that the earth is entrusted. All of creation belongs to all of us, because God has given it to all of humanity. Because that is true, then we are commanded and required to share creation amongst each other. Remember in the book of Acts where Jesus is quoted, it says, in all things I've shown you, Paul says this, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. See, Paul is even saying that, look, there are going to be people around you who are in need. And Jesus taught us how we are to engage those people. 
that it is more blessed to give than receive. A few weeks ago, I was just kind of, you know, scrolling through Yahoo or whatever news outlet online, and I came across this story about a guy named Jeffrey Holt. I don't know if you guys saw this. It was kind of one of those random news stories online. And it was about this guy. He, was, he lived, I think, into his late 70s, early 80s. He lived very frugally in New Hampshire. He lived in a trailer park. His kitchen furniture was made of plywood. And yet when he died, he left the city that he was living in, in New Hampshire, $3.8 million. No, no one knew that this guy had $3.8 million. He didn't live lavishly. He didn't look like he had a lot of money. But he had set up things in his life that when he died, he would have money to be able to give back generously to people. And I think about that in light of our lives. Just imagine if someone like Holt had $3.8 million and instead of giving it away, he spent $3.8 million on himself while he was alive. On the flip side, now imagine like what is able to be done with $3.8 million. Now, look, you might not have $3.8 million. In just a moment, Pastor Weaver will tell you what to do if you do have $3.8 million. But remember that God has given you all of creation, that he has given you a portion of creation to steward, and part of that stewardship is not hoarding, trusting the Lord, working hard, and then sharing it with other people. The danger where sin begins to affect us when it comes to our finances is with greed. And what the scriptures tell us is that greed is unjust. Greed is the excessive love of or desire for money or any possession that money can buy. And I have a feeling that there's a good chance that almost all of us, to one degree or another, probably wrestle with greed, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. But there is a danger because what greed does to us is it makes us unjust. And what I mean by that is what we've just talked about in sharing our wealth and our possessions and our finances, that is just because God has done that. Right? God did not hoard. God has given generously. And the just thing to do is that when we see others and people in need, the just thing to do is to give rather than receive. When we hoard because we want more or we think we need more, we become people who are unjust. Again, think about how Paul says this. We're all familiar with this passage, 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money, not money itself, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So how do we protect ourselves from greed to where we're able and willing to give back. St. Basil the Great, he was a church father, lived in the fourth century. He wrote a lot of stuff and led a church, 
But he also wrote a book and some sermons on social justice. And I've shared this quote with you before, but I think it's so powerful. I keep coming back to it. He talked about something that scholars have called the distributive principle. And listen to what he says. So he's, he's writing, this is a sermon that he's written, and he's writing to people who are saying to themselves, wait, 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 I haven't, I haven't sinned against my brother or my sister. And this is what St. Basil says. He says, but whom do I treat unjustly? He's quoting them. You say, by keeping what is my own. So that's not unjust to keep my stuff. And then Basil asks them this question. He says, tell me, what's your own? What did you bring into this life? From where did you receive it? It's as if someone were to take the first seat in the theater, then bar everyone else from attending, so that one person alone enjoys what is offered for the benefit of all in common. Because the theater is for everybody, right? Not just one person. That is what the rich do. They seize common goods before others have the opportunity, then claim them as their own by right of of preemption. Now listen to what he says. And this is, this is the distributive principle. And this is what I think, I think this is him boiling down for us what Jesus and all of the scriptures teach. He says, for if we all took only what was necessary to satisfy our own needs, giving the rest to those who lack, no one would be rich, no one would be poor, and no one would be in need. Now, I know you read things like that or you see something like that and you're like, wait, that's not what we talk about in America. And this is one of those tensions where we live in a society where we have a ton of wealth. And I'm not about to sit up here and bash us for you know, having more than one car or having a nice house or having this or having that. But I think there's something that we have to do when we look at what our worldview says about money and stuff and possessions and resources and what the scriptures tell us about our money, wealth, possessions, and stuff. And that perhaps maybe God has placed us in this country at this time with these resources, not to hoard, but to share. Wealth is like a mirage. When you look at your wealth or you look at your bank account and you see your stuff, it's a mirage that makes you think you're self-sufficient that you don't need anything else or you don't need anyone else, that you have all of your stuff together. But that's a lie. We've been called to share our things with others. And when we share with others, what we do is we defeat the idol of greed in our lives. In her book on Glittering vices, Rebecca DeYoung says this, she says, the point is that a fully human life is lived in a way free from being enslaved to our stuff. Our possessions are meant to serve our needs and our humanness rather than our lives being centered around service to our possessions and our desires for them. See, it's interesting how God sets this up in his economy where he basically encourages us to be generous, and then in being generous, we free our hearts from idolatry. 
Because what we think is we think that all of our stuff, our money, our possessions, our things, all of our stuff is what's going to make us happy. So we serve that little God. We serve that little idol and we say, if I can just keep all of this stuff together and I can make it good and I can make it nice and I can make it neat, I'll be happy. But God says, no, listen, I've called you to actually share your stuff, to share your possessions, to take what I've given you that you've been entrusted with and to give it back to others so that their needs are met. And then God does this incredible incredible thing. Those idols that we thought would make us happy, that greed that's deep in our heart, he removes. And what we do is then we find our ultimate value, our ultimate meaning, our ultimate purpose in who? God. Because we actually weren't created to hoard and worship the stuff. We were actually created to love and worship God. And so when we are generous, we're freeing our hearts to love and worship the person that we were actually created to love and worship, and at the same time, provide for a real, tangible, physical need in front of us. We flourish when we trust the Lord, when we work hard ourselves and when we share with others for our financial stability. Over the last few years, Vintage Church has been trying to do that through just a couple of ways. We talk about fill the fridge, our, our monthly food distribution where we give groceries out on the third Saturday of every month. And that's just one tangible way. There are people that come every month that they're living in food insecurity and that they need help with groceries. And then we've just recently started doing some of this through our nonprofit, Third and Fourth, helping young families who are struggling with homelessness or uh, on the brink of homelessness to basically be able to have a place to stay, to have housing so that they can flourish in all the other areas of their life. And there's a sense in which what God has done for us is he's kind of caused us to stumble into these things. But as we began to serve other people, what we did or what maybe God did for us is he began to open our eyes to say, look at the needs around you. It's hard for someone to flourish when they don't have financial stability. And the reason is because they have real, tangible needs that, by the way, God created us with that need to be met. And I shared this with you a few weeks ago. The answer is not just providing financial stability for somebody. You could have all the money in the world, but if you lack a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to flourish but it's to take all of these things from, yes, our faith formation to our relationships in life to our, our health, mental, physical, emotional health to do we have purpose in life and our financial stability that when we begin to have these things and when we begin to provide these things, it's then and only then that people can actually begin to flourish. So these are some of the things that we're doing kind of outside of the walls of our church. But I also want to encourage you with something that we're going to do very soon. 
We're going to be offering Financial Peace University in a few weeks. Super excited. Jeff Canella, one of our Vintage partners, is going to be leading this for us. It's going to be on Monday night, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. It's going to start the week of March 18th. And what this is for is this is for those of us in this room that are like, look, I need financial stability. I don't have financial stability. I need to take steps to become financially stable. That's what this is for. And so we want to be able to do things outside of the walls of vintage, but at the same time do things for our church family to say, what can we do to help you, to support you, to get you to a path of financial stability so that you can flourish in all areas of life? Jeff's going to be in the lobby at the end of the gathering. If you're interested or you have questions or you want to sign up for Financial Peace University, he's got sign-up sheets out there and we'll be getting more information to you. It's going to be free, by the way, as well. So if that's interesting to you, please sign up. I want to close with just some diagnostic questions that we've been giving you every week to help you take this and make it practical in your own life. And so here are just four questions for you to pray about and consider this week. Number one, do you have enough to meet your needs? I think that's an important question for some of us to ask because maybe you don't have enough. And that's a sign for you to say, I need to ask for help. Or maybe as you begin to process that question, you think you don't have enough, but as you begin to look around, you actually do have enough to meet your needs. So do you have enough to meet your needs? Number two, how are you trusting the Lord to meet your needs? Some of us in that top 10 signs that you're, financially stable, the bottom one is getting us. And we're struggling to trust the Lord when he's given us everything we need to be financially stable. Number three, how are you stewarding your resources? It's one thing to be given all of those resources. It's another thing to steward those resources well. What are you doing? Think about how hard you're working. Think about how you're saving how you're spending. Are you living below your means? Lastly, how are you generously sharing with others? Begin to think about that question. I hope and pray, not just for my own sake, but for our ministry in the life of Vintage, that you are giving back to the ministry of Vintage Church. Because us collectively giving back we're able to do far more than one or two or three people could do. But I also pray that as you think about generously sharing with others, your generosity extends beyond what we do here together. And I pray that what you're thinking about is not just the money that you have in your bank account, but how every single thing God has given you, he has given you to steward and to share your time, your energy, your talents. How are you doing sharing everything that God has given you? He's called us to trust him. He's called us to work hard. And he's called us to share with others. As we do those things, may we become people who are financially stable. And may we then be able to extend 
that financial stability out into our community. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. Father, we thank you that you have provided everything for us. Every tree, every animal, everything in all of the earth is yours. You've given it to us to steward. Help us to steward it well. Help us to share it well. God, in this moment and in the moments to come this week, may we process these questions. May we process what it means to be financially stable, not just in the light of what the world tells us and what our culture tells us, but what you tell us from your word. And may we take steps this week, not only to become ourselves financially stable, but then to extend that out to our community. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for modeling what generosity looks like. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.